Hello and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Spotlight On is brought to you by Light, the technology platform reimagining e-commerce for live events. You can learn more about Light at light.com forward slash partnerships. That's L-Y-T-E dot com forward slash partnerships. Today's talk is a fun one. The spotlight is on James Felice of the Felice Brothers, a strictly top-shelf band from upstate New York. Their new album, From Dreams to Dust, is set for release on September 17th. James and I chopped it up about music, rural New York, and a whole lot more. We got to the point where I decided I want to be a Felice Brother when I grow up. Enjoy our talk. Hello. James. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I am good. Can you see me and everything? Am I, doing I can't. This right? You look tough, man. You look tough today. Oh, yeah. I'm ready for a fight, you know? <laughs> I always come in every podcast ready to, you know, kick ass if I have to. <laughs> I barely finished my first cup of coffee, so go easy on me. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, where, are you, where, are we, where are we speaking to you from? This is my home in Kingston, New York. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm just south of Seattle right now, um, All right. but uh, oddly enough, and it's something I'm hoping I can talk to you about, I know your neck of the woods pretty well. Oh, yeah? Um, I grew up in Connecticut and then spent about 20 years uh, in New York, uh, but used to go camping up in the Catskills area quite a bit. So, okay. uh, yeah. Where, and, whereabouts? Well, the last place I went before I moved out here was um, North South Lake. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the, that, that piece of land where the mountain house was, man, is so ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. You know, I haven't been up there since I was a kid. I spent a lot of my life growing up like a little bit south of the Catskills and the Shawangunk Mountains. My older brothers lived in the Catskills. And when I was like a seven or eight, we moved to the other different mountains in new york because i don't know why um but yeah i remember going to north south like all the time when i was a kid so beautiful we used to rent paddle boats i think yeah zoom around there yeah that last trip that we went i took my son who was around uh i don't know 11 at the time and we went with a friend of his and uh you know this is this is just indicative indicative of what a bad person i am um it was nightfall and they were hanging out by the fire. And I said, oh, I, I got to, you know, run over to the bathroom. And of course, I waited till it got really quiet. And I snuck down and hid behind the car and started making noises and <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. enjoyed watching them freak out for a good 20 minutes. Lucky you didn't get shot. <laughs> or get eaten by a bear up there. Or get um, eaten by a bear. <laughs> but I, one last anecdote about that trip. So we went for a walk one of the nights or went for a hike around nightfall. And, um, we actually got turned around and we were, and, uh, you know, I had to pretend to not be nervous cause I've got two little kids who are like, are we taking the long way back? How do we get back? And we stumbled across, I was a half dozen. I could only, they, they, I mean, they were somewhere on the spectrum between like Manson family and like members of the polyphonic spree. And, they, and they were, <laughs> it was like a half dozen or so hippie kids, um, uh... in like just sitting in the middle of the woods 
um, with guitars. Like, I don't know. It was probably completely innocuous, but in the context of like anxiety around getting back to the campground, it was, <laughs> it was, was I there? as hell. <laughs> yeah. It might've been you. It been me. <laughs> did you, did you go through a phase where you wore like white gauze dresses maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, certainly not. Not yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing something like that when I get a little older. <laughs> so, um, tell me about growing up out that way though. I mean, so, um, if I understand correctly, the town where you grew up, at least in the earlier part of your life, you mentioned your older brothers were there maybe uh, a little longer, um, has like a pretty significant art background and interesting background. Yeah. And I, I don't want to get this wrong because I'm not a historian of the area. But yeah, so my older brothers grew up in, Cat- in Palinville, just near Catskill. And I know that there was the Hudson River School of Art. Mm-hmm. in the Catskill School of Art. And my brother Ian is like, he he loves painting. He's a painter and he's like an art historian. He knows everything about it. So he would be the better person to talk to about that particular question. But besides artists, there's so many musicians that came up there, especially in the 50s and 60s. And there was also comedians, right? It was like a, the, the Catskill circuit. It was like Jewish comedians would come up from the city. Carrot Top. Carrot and, top. Of, and of course, <laughs> Carrot Top, we all love very much. That, that, that historic Jewish comedian of the Catskill <laughs> scene. <laughs> Was he up there? <laughs> it was Shecky Green, him. Don Rickles, and Carrot Top. <laughs> wow, the big three. The <laughs> big three, yeah. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, so always interesting musicians and artists in that area, people you wouldn't necessarily expect to see. Uh, mostly because, you know, they, they kind of came up from the city and realized how beautiful and close it was and sort of settled, settled down. Some of them never went back. So, it's, yeah. A, yeah, a lot of great music was produced there and art over the years. Do you know how your folks wound up, wound up up there? He, well, my, my pops came up. He grew up in Queens, and he came up in 69 for Woodstock, the festival. I think it was, that was 69, right? Yeah. Yeah, so him and his best friend, John Karsh, came up from Queens. They were 17, and they went to Woodstock. And, um, and I don't think they ever went back. They, they bought uh, a one-way ticket. <laughs> they basically bought a one-way ticket, and I, they, I think they went full-blown hippie. They like live in the woods you know, in a cabin without any power. They, they both met uh, girls who are, you know, they, one, my, John Karsh is still married to his. And he met him you know, when they were 17, and my father was with pat and uh, he had three kids with her um so yeah they just they just stayed up there and then my mom came up she's a little younger than my dad in the 80s i guess to work um yeah so she grew up in like long island wow it's such an interesting area too the other the other thing that um when i was doing my background on you guys was that um it's the hometown of rip van winkle that's right the hometown of rip van winkle we even we have a bridge named after the guy the rip van winkle bridge brings you from Catskill across to, to uh, by Hudson. Yeah, is there like yeah. Rip, is there Rip Van Winkle like shtick up there or? There is yeah, there's a hundred percent Rip Van Winkle shtick. I I gotta read the story again because when I first you know I'd always you know grow up Rip Van Winkle this and that I was I thought it was some cool story but it's just about a guy that falls asleep and he wakes up and then he's old. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, I think I the was big thing is he, he missed the revolution. I think that was the big thing. He missed the revolution. Uh, okay. So, like, so he had no world. idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was the Dutchman that did it to him. They gave him some kind of weird. He drank the, he drank the Dutchman's liquor. Uh, and I, I just yeah. I need to know what the Dutchman's liquor is a, a metaphor for. I've been so. looking for it my whole life, man. <laughs> I'm 
like a little pint I've, of I've the Dutchman's liquor. Just a little sniff. I don't, I don't need to go to sleep for 20 years, but, you no. know. Like, nice okay, so he, he missed the revolution. I, I really should read that story again. It's been uh, so <laughs> long. Okay, that makes sense. That's why it's interesting. Yeah. It's Washington Irving, right? Yeah, yeah, right. yep. What did uh what did your family, what did your parents do or what did, like what did you grow up in were they were they art inflected like how did how did being up there inform you guys? My parents are not even remotely art inflected. My father's a carpenter, oh, okay. and my mother um is uh, I mean she was like a stay at home mom for most of my childhood, and then she started she became like a school bus driver when most of the kids were out of the house. Um, yeah, both lovely incredible people you know just hard working neither of them really my mother never graduated high school my father you know no one ever went to college um and just yeah sort of working class people and sort of grew up in that environment in the woods in the middle of nowhere um pretty interesting and then i was i was actually homeschooled by my mom for a lot of my childhood which was also fascinating and weird wow yeah, I feel like when I was growing up, like the homeschool kids, like, the, you know, those were definitely like weird kids. Now it seems a bit more mainstream or at least more common. Whenever I feel good that whenever I tell somebody I was homeschooled, they're surprised. So that means that I'm doing something right. I don't want to say like, oh, I was homeschooled. And somebody like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I think <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> oh, oh, that contextualizes. Oh, your yeah, ignorance. Yeah. oh that's why you're <laughs> such a freak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That, I, I, I can understand that. Um, why you feel that way. Um, yeah. Do you think that the um, do, you, do, you, do you think that the like the given how the regions changed and it's it seemed like, you know, there's been sort of the migration of the city folk into the Hudson Valley and into the Catskills. Is that lifestyle or is the world your parents raised their family in? Is it still possible to do that? That's something that I think about a lot, actually. Um I yeah, and it's accelerated so much during the pandemic to an almost like a, feels almost a cataclysmic for the area in a way. Um, you know, house prices have gone up so I don't own a home. I've, I've been saving to buy a home my whole life, and then and now I don't really think I can afford one again, which is super uh, annoying and discouraging. But I, I don't know actually. Uh, certainly, there's pockets of the Hudson Valley that no city person wants to go to because there's not enough you know good coffee in the radius. But um, that's all changing every day. Something new and delicious opens up somewhere and then uh, or a club or antique store or something. Um, And it draws the city money that seems to have. It just seems like an infinite supply of people with a lot of cash who can buy a house without really worrying about it. That is 20 percent overpriced or that, you know, it needs a new roof or this and that. Uh, which is really intimidating and kind of scary for for me and for a lot of my friends that grew up here and my family and stuff. But at the same time, and I, I bet you moan about it all the time. But at the same time, like it does bring culture and interesting people to the area, and it's something that's always happened to the Hudson Valley and anywhere where you know you're within X number of hours drive from a from a big city. But there's no bigger city than New York, and there's no more wealthier place in the world than New York. So yeah. the Hudson River, the arm that extends through the Hudson Valley. Uh, sort of draws all this it's just fuck this people man it's hundreds of thousands of people yeah and they don't want to get the hell out of the city yeah yeah it's like it's, instead of uh, laying down a dollar for a cup of coffee and getting change you got to like save up to that six dollar cup of coffee 
It ain't cheap. <laughs> and, but I'm, I'm at the same time, I'm like a foodie. I love good food. I love a good cup of coffee. I love like a nice uh, cocktail. And um, none of that, you couldn't get any of that, you know, around here like 15 years ago. Um, but now you can easily. And I, I love that. So, of course, it's, a, it's a, some good stuff and some bad stuff. It's just, I just feel bad for the people that grew up. I live in Kingston, which is like a small city. Um, really beautiful place that was mostly very poor and empty from my whole childhood. We would just come here to go to the mall, you know? Um, and now all these buildings are being bought by like billionaire investors from the city and they're kicking, you know, like they're raising rents and kicking people out. And that's honestly like despicable behavior. Um, but then there's just people that want to, you know, start a family up here. They don't want to deal with the hustle and bustle of the city, which is fine. So I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot. I think about it a lot because it, it re- really bothers me sometimes. Yeah, of course. I can stealing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll try not to dwell on it too much. But <laughs> other than having your roots in the region, are you are you currently rooted in like a scene of musicians and other artists? Like, is that is that a part of why you're still there? In a sense, yeah. There's some amazing artists around here. I I never lived anywhere else but here in my whole life. Basically, I've lived in like many different towns, but I basically lived like within an hour of where I grew up my entire life. I've traveled a lot. Um, I, I think because of my family, I've stayed here. Um, I have six brothers and sisters and we all sort of live in the area and my parents and my grandmother who passed away a couple years ago, but she lived in the area and we were very close. So, yeah, I, I just never wanted to leave and I made so many great friends over the years I love I love the feeling of having like a home and like walking down the street and seeing people I've known for 15 years and yeah I, I love that feeling so much so yeah I think so and th- th- there are amazing musicians here I'm a little more insulated especially obviously since COVID one of my main goals this year next year when things loosen up is to be out in the musical community more because I do sometimes feel separated from it yeah how did you guys go about making the new record in the context of COVID? Were, were you and Ian like in a pod together or like how did, did you use technology? How did that? We were in a basically, yeah, we were in a pod together. Uh, I, I had got COVID like right at the beginning of the pandemic. Like oh, shit, March. I'm sorry. That's OK. I was I was fine. My girlfriend and I got it and it sucked a lot. But we were Between fine. that and the homeschooling, it explains a lot. Right. <laughs> sorry, he's a weirdo. I'm sorry to your audience for being <laughs> such a strange bird. Um, we, uh, so yeah, so Ian lives in a little town in the middle of nowhere, sort of by Hudson, New York, if anybody knows where that is. And and he has a church. There's literally a church on his property that was built in like 1870. And he, and he didn't actually own the church, but it was like on his property. Eventually through, after years and years, he finally got control of it because no one was using it. Um, and we made a little studio in there. Really cool. So it was just me and him and his wife and his like three year old son, (laughs) Um, we would just work together every day. And then we got the whole band together for like four days. It all took like COVID tests and we potted up and we actually were able to record some, the whole band together. And that was all in October, I think. And that was, yeah, that, that was like the highlight of my pandemic experience for sure. Yeah. So did the, um, I'm sort of interested in process a little bit. So did the, uh, did the whole record come together in those four days or do you like, you pull the band together, get what you need out of them. And then you guys do a bunch of posts or adding stuff. Like, how does that work for this one? It was unusual because of the circumstances. We actually spent a couple weeks before the band showed up and recorded a bunch of songs, just me and him, mm-hmm. you know, use a drum machine, using plugins, just like kind of, kind of getting creative and getting weird. Um, 
And then we were like, okay, the band's going to come in for these days, God willing. And it actually worked out. So then we sort of recorded, I think like eight or nine or 10 songs in those four days. Um, And so the record is sort of a combination of just me and Ian with some overdubs by some of the other members of the band and song cut with the whole band together uh, by half and half. Um, And that was the process. Ian wrote a bunch of songs. I wrote a bunch of songs for the first, you know, over the spring and summer. And then we came together and tried to work them out. And then the band came in. And then after the band was done, a couple more overdubs. I like to sing a bunch of harmonies, take my time, scream in a room by myself into a mic. And uh, that was it. Yeah. And how does, uh, how do the songwriting duties generally fall? Like, do you, do you each come in with fully formed songs and then uh, sprinkle a little bit of yourselves on it? Or like, do you, is one of you just music and the other lyrics and melody? Like what's the insight there? It's usually we come in with like songs that are 70% there or sometimes more. Ian and often Ian, Ian is like a prolific songwriter who is incredibly skilled. Um, so sometimes he just comes in with a song that's, perfect that's done and i'm like okay i'll i'll be back here and record it and like play a little piano this song is done um sometimes yeah songs are we uh, half formed we work them out with the band or with me and him and then i write some songs i'm way slower and not as good as him so i usually he usually helps me out a lot with lyrical stuff particularly and and um and yeah i guess i'm more music he's more lyrics but we both do both um but he's just a machine. He just writes these, I think, just such beautiful, interesting lyrics. And I just, I, I'm just happy just to sit there and listen to him sing yeah. and record it. I wanted to ask you about some of the lyrics. Like, do you, part of it, I think, is the, 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 the family relationship that I, I, I think I was sensing. But the other is like, um, like, are there, for me as a listener, there's times where I just, like, I laugh out loud. Like, I, I was in the car this morning. Uh, and I had just some, some of the tracks on random and I, was, I just laughed. I'm like, and, <laughs> and, and, and like, do you, do you ever hear the, the lyrics for the first time or pick up the lyric sheet and just like, dude, come on, man. Yo, yeah. All the time. <laughs> you know, usually he sends demos and hey, I'm cracking up and I, I love humor and music. I think it's such a beautiful thing. And if you do it right, it, it's, it's transcendent. Some of my favorite songwriters, I feel like, yeah, I like, got uh, John Prine, for instance. Yeah. It just really make you laugh. And it's not just like because it's absurd or a parody of itself, but it's funny in the context of the universe of the song. You, you, it's like a, like a really well-written comedy or something. I love that. It's not easy to do. And, he, and Ian does it pretty damn well. Yeah, actually, I thank you for saying John Prine because that was uh, that that should have been more immediately obvious to me. But that's a great that's a great example of, of what's going on there with some of those songs. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, I think definitely my, definitely my biggest influence and one yeah. of Ian's too, for sure. How much of the lyrics are true? Like <laughs> I'll give you a more specific example. Cause that yeah. seems like, you know, in a catalog as vast as your, as yours is growing to be. Um, how much of silverfish is like, how many of those things happened? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that one, I wrote that one and that is like 90% true. <laughs> like who's this guy sending memes to your girl? That was a true thing that definitely happened. She was like getting memes on her phone. I was trying to write the song and I was, I was like, what the, you know, I was like, what the fuck send you memes? And yeah, <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> I'm working here. Yeah. I think it's all true. My mom feeds raccoons live on that one's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, that one is actually like a basically a true story about how uh, I don't know how powerless and pathetic sometimes you feel at, in, in the face of the world and the nature and just events. And, you know, that's that's a, that's a true story. So I'm sorry yeah. to say. Did you ever decide what it is that you have to do? You know, you're bemoaning the fact <laughs> that you got to do something. And I'm wondering, like, what's he going to do, man? Like the mice are in the car. All you're going to do is like you could abandon the car. Like, <laughs> that's what I, I had do. to. <laughs> right. It's always I had to kill the mice. And that was that sucked. But uh, I think that's the question of the song. It's like I'm always walking around being like, I have to do something, whether it's. Yeah. Destroy a hornet's nest that's threatening uh, my, <laughs> you know, my family or uh, getting a job or just being productive every day, every second of my life. And I think a lot of people say, I, was like, I, I have to do something. And I'm also thinking that when I'm like scrolling on my phone, I'm like scrolling through Instagram, I'm like I have to do something. Of course, I'm just scrolling, scrolling. <laughs> but there's a part of my brain that's like, Good, buddy, put this fucking phone down. You have to do something. So that's kind of what the song's about. So your, your, your conception of I've got to do something is like, it's, a, it's like the spectrum of like, I should be doing something productive or I've got a list of things. I should be doing something or like existentially, like I got to do something like things are fucked up. Like, I think it's, yeah, it's all those things. And in the original concept is also like every time you do do something, you wind up killing something, which was sort of my original concept. There's this, saw this story my mom read to me when I was a kid when I was homeschooled. So this might, maybe she made it up. It's called King Beetle Tamer. I don't so know. This might, this might be an original. <laughs> this might be a tall original. But she, it's a great story. It's like a king. He gets kicked out of his kingdom for some reason. And uh, he has to sleep in the grass. But before he lays down in the grass, he stops his foot to make sure all the insects know he's laying down so he doesn't crush them. And I, I took that when I was a kid. I was like, oh, my God. Every time like, I walk through the woods, and I live in the woods, I'm crushing something. I'm, and, and you look down at your footsteps, and you see, like, destroyed um, trees or crushed insects or whatever, whatever is trying to form there. And, you know, footsteps, obviously metaphor for everything I do in my life. I spent a lot of time in the woods working in on like doing tree work, cutting down trees. And, and I'm always I'm definitely killing shit when I do that. Uh, you know, knocking down a 70 foot tall tree. Usually they're dead, but you know, imagine all the insects that live in a tree like that and birds and it falls on the ground like a bomb and, just so much destruction for 30 bucks an hour. Um, that's good pay. Uh, so yeah, that's all the things that sort of went through my head when I was writing that song. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say that I'm rereading for the first time in a very long time. The, um, the, the book of interviews between Bill Moyers and Joseph Campbell, um, where they talked about the book is the Mm. power of myth and, several times throughout the book i don't remember this theme from reading it years ago but joseph campbell keeps talking about like the great tragedy of life is that life lives off of other lives and um like you cannot escape that and it's not just that we're killing animals and killing the environment like the vegetarian doesn't get off any easier like the plant's alive and there's nothing you can do to stay alive without taking life only and even plants who get their life energy mostly from the sun are constantly displacing other plants releasing pesticides and herbicides to defend themselves against other plants killing other plants every step of the way back in the of course start thinking about bacteria every time you use you know uh, alcohol to wash your hands 
you're obviously eliminating life. Uh, it's a strange feeling. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time photographing insects. It's like my weird hobby. Another weird thing about me, homeschooler. Um, so I'm always looking down, looking around, looking at these creatures and they're just always tearing at each other. It's nonstop. At any given moment on this planet, there's just billions of living things eating or killing billions of other living things. It's a churn that's been going on since the dawn of time. It's just basically how it's the mechanics of evolution uh, and life itself. So it's an inescapable fact. And it's kind of horrifying if you think about it too much. But I think about it all the time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean that's that. so <clears throat> to try to uh, uh, to try to put maybe a, a slightly hopeful cherry on that. What Campbell's point was um, is that uh, a lot of the ritual that that was developed, especially early on, for people to make sense and be able to actually cope with the fact that they had to be in this constant state of killing. Um, a lot of the ritual was just around gratitude. Like there's really not much more you could do to like, to, to inure yourself to the fact that you're this killing machine, except to <laughs> express constant gratitude for the things that are giving themselves up for you. Right. Um, right. So. Thank God I'm the lion. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> thank right. Thank God, you know, thank you for the antelope. Of course. Yeah. Right. And now, yeah, I try to try to remember that when I go to the supermarket, thank yeah. you for this piece of chicken. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, chicken. Like, thank you. Thank, thank you, chicken. chicken. I'm sorry your life was so horrible. Not that just I do always try to get uh, pasture raised animals, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, we'll make uh, sure we put that in the episode. Yeah, yeah. Make sure that the <laughs> make sure the kids know that. <laughs> oh, yeah, canceled. Like those damn Felice brothers, man. They <laughs> murderous torture bastards. chicken. I just love eating torture chickens. That's all they eat. Yeah. Um all right, so I have a couple of aspirations that I, I need you to um to fulfill for me when you get back on the road. All right, so no this problem. is like this is the personal part of the podcast. Um, I'm so looking forward to being either in a crowded room of people while you're playing, or maybe even better for this one, like in a field at a festival. <laughs> I need to hear, I need to hear thousands of people singing along to Inferno and shouting out <laughs> the words Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> That it's gonna would be fun. Be awesome. Holy shit. I haven't even like let myself think about that part of it, like the like the crowd part of music. It's just so sad. And so we've been so bereft of that. Oh yeah, imagine that a bunch of people singing John Claude Van Damme. Oh, it's gonna be sick. Who's that running? <laughs> it's gonna be great. It's yeah, we'll let them do that part. That's a great idea. All right. You got it. What else? That's going to be a trip. So this one might have to do with, um, I didn't look closely at the songwriting credits, so I'm sorry, but this one might have to do with uh, finally getting you that house. <laughs> and, and this is, uh, I think we need to figure out a way for Springsteen to cover Frankie's gun. Mm, that would be, uh, if you know the guy, you know, putting a good word. You know, I lost my contacts in my phone last time uh -huh. I tried to sync it with the cloud. And so I don't right. know how I'm so ever going to get back Bruce's to touch number. Uh, uh, I can hear it, though. I would love if anybody covered it. Yeah, we, I don't. Uh, I think so. I think that would be a hit for somebody. I think they should do it. I remember when the dude from Hootie and the Blowfish covered that uh, Old Crow Medicine Show song? It was a right. hit. I think That's they made the tons thing. of money. That I would love. I would love to make tons of money. I think that would be so wonderful. 
And I think it would be just. I think it would be just. I don't know you just. very well, but I feel like it would be okay. I would use it for good. I would buy myself a humble home in this very, very expensive town. I would spend tons of money on local pasture-raised chickens. Uh, don't worry. The money will, will not... I won't, I won't do anything bad. I swear to God. <laughs> we'll, we'll, put that, go, Bruce. we'll put that in the episode. Mr. Too. Springsteen. <laughs> do the right the royalties thing, Royalties will go to the beautiful <laughs> causes <laughs> um, in my life. So you, you you talked about uh you talked about John Prine. Who who were some of your other guys like or your people? Who who are the artists that uh either on your way up or like what do you do now to what do you, where do you go musically? Well, you know, right now I this is these are the probably one is jo- Joanna Newsom. Yeah. I have become completely obsessed over the last couple of years with her music in a way that's kind of scaring me. Um, I take a little break, but I'll, her last record, Divers, I've listened to it dozens and dozens of times, and I think she's just so talented and awesome. It sort of hurts my feelings. Um, and I recently started listening to this songwriter named Haley Hendricks, who I think is from your neck. Of, I think she's from Portland, Oregon. Have you ever heard of her? No, Haley I don't know Haley Hendricks. Her. She's such a beautiful songwriter. She has a record called The Bug Collector, so oh, maybe we're we just go. sort of on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> um you just want the music video directing gig <laughs> uh yeah Haley, if you're out there um i got lots of footage uh anyway i just i think her music is so beautiful and otherworldly and uh, so that that's what i've been listening to lately i love strange music that sort of transports me into a different place uh i think that's really cool and she she does it with just basically a guitar and her voice and her lyrics and and then you know, Joanne Newsom does it with, I don't know, she's some strange, magical talent that I can't comprehend. But yeah. Yeah. Is there a, um, is it beyond those two, do you have an affinity for, um, for it, like, do you like the female voice or is it just those are two that came to your mind? Like, is there a theme there that you listen to female singer songwriters? Interesting. Or? I do. I don't care. Gotcha. I, I think, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I, as long as the music's good. I don't care who you are. I mean, yeah, of course, I love the female voice and I love Haley's voice is particularly haunting. And, and I don't know if like a man could do it. I'm not sure. Maybe not. Maybe it is important that the voice comes from a woman on for Joanna. And like, I can't like imagine me singing a Joanna Newsom song. That sounds that that wouldn't work. But um, I do. I mean, I, yeah, I love a beautiful voice, uh, especially a, a strange one. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, is there anything that, that you listen to um, that fans of your music would be surprised to hear is in your musical stew? I'm definitely joining a new some. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to listen to a lot of different things. A lot of I'm trying to think. The last few weeks I've been not really... I don't know why I've been listening to so much music lately. I mean, you know, I've been listening to a book on tape that, uh, or a, a, um, a Jeff Tweedy book, How to Write One Song. I, I read think- that at the beginning of the year. I found that book incredibly inspired. First of all, his tone is so conversational, but like so you could apply that to any aspect of your creative life. And writing songs, luckily for me. Yeah. Uh, I love that book so much. I just finished it. And I, I, I like listening to audio books. Um, I don't know why. I can read, I promise, but I like to listen to them. Uh, so inspiring. And he reads it and his voice is so beautiful and his book makes me laugh. It inspires me. It's such a generous, sweet, 
um, encouraging tome. I'm like so happy and grateful that he wrote that. Uh, but that does not answer your question. I mean, we love, you know, I, we really love classical music. Like we just get down like Schumann or Schubert or Beethoven, uh, Franz Liszt. Like we, we just love that shit. So we listen to that all day long. Or like Philip Glass. I love that kind of stuff. Like that sort of modern Arvo part. That doesn't um, surprise me given some of like the ambient textures and just the atmospherics in your music. So I could, mm-hmm. I could, you know, that doesn't, that's okay. I get it. Okay. Good. <laughs> I mean, we also love Neil Young, you know, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where you are up there, are you able to like, do you have a scenario where like you could take the speakers, put them in the windows and like blast out into the universe or like, are you in a neighborhood? Like, how does it, like, can you get down? I cannot get, I'm in like a little neighborhood. I'm renting like a, a little apartment in this neighborhood. So no, I don't think the neighbors would appreciate that at all. There's actually like a school across the street for like elementary kids. Maybe they would dig it actually. Um, where Ian is, he definitely could do that. He's kind of lives in the, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but no, we haven't done any performing of any kind, any kind of, we don't even do like live streams. I know a lot of people did that. Ian didn't have, doesn't have Wi-Fi, so that was actually pretty, pretty easy to say no, and you can't. It's actually kind of liberating. It it's like performance art. There's yeah. a band playing somewhere right now, but yeah. <laughs> you just get a blank screen. Exactly. That's what we should have done. Um, so yeah, the performance part of my life, something I enjoyed so much, has been totally absent for whatever it's been, 18 months, year and a half. I, I want to get back into it. Hopefully, hopefully, I don't know what the hell ha- is happening with the Delta variant. It's starting to scare me. To tell you the truth, in yeah. terms of the f- what it, you know, what it means for a crowded room, which is what's the what we need. Without the crowded room, uh, we can't do our job. And I, so that's that's what we got to wait for. That's what we need. Yeah, yeah. So I, I see your first gigs, at least that I can tell from your website, are mid September. Yeah, mid-September, we're, we're playing the city, uh, in New York City, and up here, a couple shows, and then we're heading out west. We're going to yeah, be in Seattle and Portland and L.A., et cetera, in late September, early October. So I, don't, I, I hope so. Yeah. The first date on your website's my hometown, Hamden, Connecticut. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Hamden, Connecticut. I Hamden. love Hamden, Connecticut. <laughs> I don't know it so well. I should say I love it. I, I've been there a bunch of times. That's anything. I'll tell you, if you have a, I, you know, I don't know how your, how your routine works, but if you get there a day earlier, if you have some time in the afternoon, there's a great park there called Sleeping Giant. Okay. Um, packed with Native American mythology. The Sleeping Giant uh, fell down and went to sleep. And he's not, so if you're in Hamden, the, the horizon looks like a sleeping giant. You can see his head and his body and his feet, but it's a, it's a, it's a great little park. It's cool. Some good hiking. Awesome. Some, yeah. I, you know. We don't have like a tour routine anymore. We got to rebuild it. So I would like to do more sightseeing and going to more parks and just local attractions. So yeah, Sleeping China, I will we'll try to go there if we can, for sure. So how do you, how do you fire it back up? Like, uh, will you guys, like what's, what's, is there, is there a concept of like tour rehearsals? Do you woodshed for 10 days or like, how does that work? Um, we're going to rehearse for sure. I promise audience we're going to rehearse before we play. Uh, <laughs> It's only going to be a few days, probably like three, three days of rehearsals. And then we're playing Hamden, which hopefully won't inflict too much pain on them. That'll be our warm up show, but it'll be fun. And then, yeah, that's it. We've been doing this for so long that I think that we can get the engine going really quick. I mean, I haven't stopped playing music for myself this whole time. So I still remember how to play chords and stuff and how to sing. 
Um, it's just about getting that the band feeling good. But you know, we, we played together those four days last year and we just clicked right away. I was so surprised. I was really skeptical that we could get anything out of four days because without ever like practicing or doing anything for months, but we did. And so hmm. the musicians, our drummer and our bass player, Jess or Will and Jess respectively are incredible musicians. They're just badasses. So I just have to like sit back and try to play all the right chords. And it all don't sounds very best. professional. They like, just, you know, everybody falls into place like that. There's a high level of competency there. You know, it, it wasn't always that way. Um, I'm actually surprised how much funner music is the better you get at it (laughs) (laughs) and the better musicians you're around are it's just it's just uh, just so much friction at the beginning of the band because we all suck so bad Um, and we could make cool music but boy it was just so hard and now it's not hard. It's a different kind of challenge, which is, you know, you can sort of challenge yourself in different ways, but it's just so much funner for me. That's great. I think. All right. A couple other things before I let you go. Um, a lot of your catalog, um, and I've heard you guys talk about it in other contexts, um, is self-released. What, what is that? What does self-released mean for you? Like, are, do you guys, do you work with distributors? Are you just selling stuff direct to your fans on your website and in your, at your shows? Like that's sort of part one of my question is like define self-released. And then um, does that mean that you guys have to be more, are you more business people than you otherwise would want to be? Or is it important to you to keep your fingers? Like, how, you know, like what's the business side of what you do and who, who cares about that between the two of you? It's a good question. Um, the self-release thing, we haven't self-released a record in a few years, but when we did it, when we've done a few, we just put it on a CD. And that was what you kind of did. This is before streaming really. Uh, and it was a great way to make some scratch. We would, you know, you could, we could mail, we would mail them to people and then we would sell them at shows, print up like whatever, a thousand of them. That was it. And then we ran out of CDs and that was the end of that. Uh, late, late last year when the pandemic started and we were like, oh, we're poor now. Um, we put up a couple of our songs on Bandcamp mm-hmm. or a couple of records on Bandcamp and that generated income. And now I think they're on Spotify just because, you know, got to get those streams. Um, that so that, that's what loot. Oh yeah, yeah. It's point zero zero three cents a stream. Don't doubt it. Um, as for the 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 money and the business part, yeah, meaning we don't have a manager. Uh, we haven't for a few years. Um, so yeah, we do it all ourselves. We are two halves don't necessarily make a whole. Neither of us are good at it at all. Um, we force ourselves to care about it because we need to make a living. We're not good businessmen. We're awful, awful, awful self-promoters. Um, just the worst at it. Just, just terrible. So that's like our biggest downfall is we just don't know how to convince people to take us seriously or to like us. We just do what we do and hope it works, which it sort of does most of the time. Uh, <laughs> the jury's out. <laughs> jury's out on that. It's been 15 years and still the jury is still out. Got a hung jury on whether or not we know what we're doing or we're doing the right thing. Uh, yeah, I, I see other musicians like great musicians who are great at like Instagram or uh, TikTok, I guess, uh, which is like the sort of the new language of how to become popular and how to self-promote. And we're dog shit at that too. Um, Ian just got an Instagram 
for the first time in his life a couple months ago and I just put bugs on mine and then we have a band one, but we, we just, we're just not good at it. So we're trying, we're really doing our best because we want you to listen to the music people and we want people to come to the shows, but just know that if we don't post on our Instagram, it's just because we don't want to, but we still love you. That's good. That's good. I mean, I can't imagine that Instagram go. It's, it's gotta be hard to use Instagram without Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it does. I think that's why I never uses it. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. I have the keys to the band account, and I tr- try to do stuff on it. Um, it's weird. It's such a weird feeling, like putting your face on the internet. Or I, I just, I'm not. We're not good at it. Um, yeah, we're, we're working on. You know, slowly but surely. Probably, hopefully, by the time we're in our mid 40s, we'll have this thing figured out. So, yeah, it's it's strange how the job requirements of of rock and roll have changed. It's like now you have to be a media company you have to self-promote and you have to sort of be creative with it and like have your own vo- you have to have your own voice you have to have a personality right which i like think i have a personality i think i do but then you have to figure out a way to take that personality and put it on the internet so that people can see it and enjoy it in like these sort of bite-sized little snacks um which will encourage them which will make them like you and which will make them listen to your music but it's the translating your personality to the internet that I, I just, I don't, I don't know how to do that. How do you, how do you do that? How do you do that? I, you know, you just, you be you, man. You be you. you. But what if you is not you know, taking pictures of yourself and putting it on the internet? That's the problem. All right. Tell me about the new record. It's coming out also around the same time you get back on the road. Yeah, it's coming out the seven, 16th or 17th. Whatever that Friday is. In 17th. September. Yeah, September 17th is coming out. Streaming. We're going to have vinyl and CDs too, believe it or not. Uh, and then we're hitting the road. Like, just sort of like, you know, old-timey uh, tour cycle stuff. Getting Put out a record, on. go on the road. Nice. I'm pretty excited about it. Nice. Um, let me ask you this. Where, where in the lineage of... Um, uh, I, I hope this is a hack question, man. So I'm just going to qualify it. But... Um, where in the lineage of great uh, brother musical duos do you guys fit? Are you like the Davies brothers or <laughs> are, are you the Van Halen? Sorry. <laughs> More like the Jonas brothers, but oh, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. If we're like the Van Halen's actually. We are kind of like the Van Halen's. You didn't really hear any guff between the Van Halen's. They're certainly not like, you know, the Black Crows guys. Those guys were brothers, right? Or who's Oasis? Everybody's always talking about how Oasis, they really, they were brothers and now they, they don't even talk to each other. No, me and Ian, we get along great. Uh, There's no drama. We're just not like drama, drama, dramatic, sorry. We're not dramatic people. We can't generate uh, animosity or angst. We don't have the ability to do that. So we just get along good. I just try to stay out of his way and he tries to stay out of mine. And um, we just, we work well together like that. We, I think we found our, our vibe and neither of us are like co or narcissists or, you know, we, just, we don't have any severe personality deficiencies. I don't think a bunch of minor ones for sure, but I think we're doing all right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll quietly judge that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Of course. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, not to man. brag. 
<laughs> um, it's really great to talk to you. Thank you for making time. Likewise. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. And good luck with the, with the record and getting everything back on the road and, uh, you know, uh, combating the Delta variant and, uh, you know, it's going to be fine. It's gonna yeah. Be okay. I think we're going to be all right. Just, yeah. Just hope and pray that get this thing under control so we can get back out there. And, uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Maybe we'll see you at the Seattle show. Yeah, I hope so, man. I hope so. When I, when I, uh, I, I might reach out to you and, and uh, maybe yeah. we could uh, grab a bite or grab some coffee or uh, somehow make you feel welcome in Seattle. 100%. I'll put you on the guest list. Oh, thank you. That's, thank you. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Be Cheers. well. He drove in a doomed Corvette. Thank you so much, James Felice. Thank you, Aunt Taylor and the team at Light. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On. Get and share all of our past episodes, write a review, and even send us a message through our website, spotlightonpodcast.com. Join us again next week, and in the meantime, be safe and stay in touch. Tornado with human eyes. Poison bird baths and torrents of chemical rain like the heads of state hyperventilating in clouds of